The following audio is from LifeHouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at lifehousechurch.org. What, what's got you shaken and unsettled? And what do you do when you feel shaken and unsettled? Crazy, just this morning, I somehow I overslept my alarm clock, uh, which goes off very early in the morning, and I, and I woke up kind of with a start, and as I laid in bed, you know, kind of quickly trying to wake up, my mind, you know, I've had moments where my mind was racing. This was different. My mind felt chaotic, and uh, I, I tried to, like, catch my breath, and it literally took me a few moments to, like, settle my thinking and even when I got out of bed and I went downstairs, started getting myself ready, it was like I was trying to like calm the chaos in my mind. I, I felt unsettled. I felt shaken, even though I had just woken up. But some of you, your situation's vastly more serious. Maybe it's a relationship that's, got, that's on the rocks, that's left you feeling insecure and unstable. Maybe it's the, a financial situation, or maybe it's something going on in your mind or your emotions or your spiritual situation. Maybe it's the season. You know, as the days grow shorter and the temperatures get colder, people start going through, you know, seasonal depression. And for many, um, this season starts to bring up old wounds. And so you can begin to nurse those painful wounds. And for others, it brings up difficult losses. And so you're re-grieving again pain of the past and the hurts and those you've loved and lost. And so these different situations can leave us unsettled, shaken. Maybe it's a work situation that's got you uh, unsettled. And so what do you do when you feel shaken? Where do you turn? You know, in every movie, kind of the, in the chapter two, in the next sequence, there's always this situation in every great story where things go from bad to worse and it seems hopeless. Those that are in trouble have no way out and they can't save themselves. You can't turn it around. You can't just calm your, the chaos in your mind or, or you know, just kind of settle yourself and get things back to normal. No, it's, it's out of control and there's no escaping it. It's, it's shaking and you can't calm the earthquake in your life. And so as we're going through this story of Christmas... We're looking at it from the lens of those that were looking ahead to Christmas. And so in order to look ahead to Christmas, you got to go backward. And so we've gone back to the writings of a prophet who imagined, who dreamed, who foretold the promised king. This prophet Isaiah was a spokesman of God to the nation of Israel and Judah, a nation that was torn apart by division and war and the northern portion, Israel, had recently been conquered in 722 BC by the, the now, um, you know, powerful Assyrian Empire that came and conquered them. And, and, and now about 22 years later, Isaiah is sitting down and he is compiling his book of prophecies. Today, it's made up of 66 chapters and it tells the story of how God is promising to his people to step in and save the day. But you know, 
Before God's going to step in and save the day, things go from bad to worse. And that's where we find the story. Let me kind of just set the context for you. In order to get to Isaiah chapter 7, you got to go through Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah is writing about how the nation of Israel lost a beloved king, King Uzziah, a, a, a king who had led the nation in reform. Uh, led the nation in, in kind of recovering spiritually and it began to regain its footing. It began to regain its prosperity and he died. And the nation began to grieve. And then you get to chapter seven and you, you discover that the nation is now preparing for war. Um, not only has Israel been destroyed and so now we've left with Judah and Jerusalem, you know, with the center with Jerusalem, but now two different emerging uh, great nations have come together to fight against and devastate Judah. And that's where our story picks up in chapter seven. Let me start in verse two, where it simply reads this way. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied, allied himself with Ephraim. See, these two nations. So the hearts of Ahaz, this is the part that I want to catch, catch uh, your attention. The hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, right? You get that. You know what it's like to feel shaken. As the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. You ever been in a situation you just felt like, you know, situations and seasons and a relationship or difficulties were blowing against your life and leaving you shaken like the trees in a forest blown by a storm or by the wind. And so he's in trouble. And and what does he do in trouble? Um, As the prophet continues to write, he's kind of giving him a, a heads up and saying kind of, this is what I want you to do. And so Let me just kind of jump in as I continue this. I'm going to read it here. He goes like this. This is what happens when we're shaken and then we try to put our feet uh, on ourselves, meaning we turn to ourselves. We, some of you, when, when you're in trouble, you kind of lean on your own abilities. You, you, you kind of, or you reach out and you grab for whatever you can get your a hold of. I, I did that once, um, I was riding in a, in a rowboat with my brothers, uh, and I think they still hold this against me to this day, but we were riding in a rowboat in a, in a big storm. I mean, we had a, we had the, the, the stream we were riding on had flooded, and I was just a little kid. I mean, I was probably like four, five years old, and so we're, we're zipping down this stream, and I reached out because I was scared, and they told me not to touch anything, but I reached out. I grabbed a root from a tree that was kind of sticking out over the stream. I grabbed a hold of it, and I grabbed on, and the boat spun around and began to sink. <laughs> That's what happens when you're in trouble, and you begin to just grab for whatever you can get your hands on. Some of us we reach out and we, we grab onto self-medicating behaviors. Some throw themselves into another relationship. Some throw themselves into an entertain, you know, entertainment or a hobby or anger. And, and that's where this passage is going. He goes, distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. And when they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. God, how did you, you know, how could you get me, leave me in this much trouble? How could you put me here? You know, here I am sinking the boat. God, why would you cause this to happen? But I refuse to let go of the root. That's what the prophet is getting. He goes, then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. He goes, they're going to be in trouble. 
Things go from bad to worse. It gets dark and hopeless. And what do you do when when things are dark and hopeless after you've gone through a season of being shaken and in great distress? And so in this story, we're going to go back to chapter 7, where God is trying to get the attention of the king, King Ahaz. And so he says this, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign. Just, God, let me know you're here. God, let me know you're with me. The prophet says, ask for a sign. The Lord is telling you to ask for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test, which sounds like the right thing to say. No, 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 I don't want to test God. But what he's really saying is, no, I don't trust God enough to show up. I don't even have the faith to ask for a sign. It's like you're clinging on to the root in desperate situation. You don't even know how to ask for help. It's, if you're anything like me, you know, if you ever go shopping with your wife and you're in the store and then somebody walks up to you, a salesperson walks up to you and says, hey, do you need any help? I mean, I could be truly lost. I could have no idea where to find the thing I'm looking for. And I'm going to tell every salesperson, no, 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 I'm fine. And all of us do this. That's Ahaz, right? It's some people. Now, that's funny when you're shopping and maybe annoying to the salespeople who truly want to help. But have you ever come on a situation where somebody is truly distraught? I mean, there's a tragedy, a crisis. I mean, a real disaster. And you go up to them and say, hey, how can I help? Or can I help you? And they go, no. You're like, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's like they're in so much trouble that they can't even ask for help. That's Ahaz. A nation that is shaken. They've lost their beloved king Uzziah. They've got nations coming against them to destroy them. And he's so shaken. He's so troubled. He's so unsettled that he can't even turn to God and say, help. <laughs> but God, let's keep with the story here. One of the, most, one of the more famous verses of Isaiah is Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, that reads this way. Now, in that context, here's this verse. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. And Emmanuel, when translated, means God with us. God says, you know what? You're not even going to ask for a sign. You don't even know how to ask for help. You're in so much trouble that you don't even know what to say to get out of the trouble. You're trying to grab hold of yourself. You're trying to grab hold of whatever you can get your hands on. But I'm here to step in and save the day. This is the moment where in this story, Everything has gone dark and hopeless. And as you're watching it, you're thinking, there's no way out. You're reading it and you're turning the page. There's no way. There's no way this story is going to take a turn. And God steps in and says, I'll save the day. The hero comes to the rescue. And so when you jump back or when you go ahead to um, right after that verse where he says, "They they will be in utter darkness, complete hopelessness. 
Then the prophet writes this in chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. For people that were living shaken and unsettled, there will be this rock sense of security. They won't have to live in gloom and fear anymore. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of darkness, a light has dawned. There is hope. The prophet is speaking the word of God, saying for those that are living in darkness, those who've grabbed for other helps and have been left with sand in their hand or spinning around unsettled, or maybe worse, their boat has tipped and is sinking. You don't have to live in darkness anymore. The dawn has come. Light has emerged. The sun has arrived. There is there's a sun that came. Here, here's the Here's the message. Here it is. God, when he saw us unsettled and in trouble, he did not send a miracle. He did not just send more words, the Bible. He did not send another command, and he did not give us religion. Here's the key. Hope, you have hope in the promise that God always shows up. Do you know what God does when he sees us in trouble? When God sees us unsettled, when he sees us shaken to the core, he shows up. He didn't send a miracle. He didn't send a command. He didn't send lightning from heaven or boom with a voice from heaven with like thunder. No, he came. That's right. The king stepped off of his throne and became one of us. He came to the rescue. And so there's this word of encouragement again right there in this chapter, chapter 7, verse 4, which, which, he, which I, I love this verse. He goes, say to him. So the prophet, it, it, God is saying through the prophet, now go speak to Ahaz and say to him, be careful, keep calm. And do not be afraid. Do not lose heart. Let, let me repeat that to you. Be careful. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. And do not lose heart. How? How could he say that in the midst of wars raging? I mean, maybe you've never had to lead a nation through overcoming the grief of losing a beloved king. Or maybe you've never had to lead a nation through facing an overwhelming battle against two armies that want to, two nations that want to wipe you off the face of the earth. But you've been shaken. You've been unsettled. And God has an answer for you. When you have felt, un, you have felt shaken and unsettled, the most unsettling situation, and the reason for all of the shaking in our life is something deeper. We are spiritually shaken to the core because we are spiritually standing on sand rather than on a rock. That's right. And the sand is slipping out from underneath us. How can I say that? Because at the core of the foundation of our spiritual life is sin. Sin is a rejection of God and all that is good and God's good plans for our life. And when we allow sin, and sin is the foundation of our life, and it's nothing but sand, 
It is, it leaves us standing with no foundation. It takes the foundation out of our relationships. It takes the foundation out of our thinking, our decision-making. It takes the foundation out of anchoring our desires in what is good and best. And it leaves us in a forever, far from God, in eternal judgment. But God, this is the story. When in the story of our lives, things went from bad to worse, the lights went out, and just before it got darkest, it went completely black, right? Like meaning in those moments when it couldn't get any worse, it got worse. Because of sin, it only gets worse. But God stepped in. Let me say it again. God's response to us being shaken and unsettled is not a miracle, is not a command, is not another Bible verse, is not religion. It's not something you can do. No, God's response is that he came and he became one of us. He sent his son, not just like a man, but as a man. He became a man. God entered into his broken world. That's, that's this Christmas verse in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. You can't ask for it. You don't even know how to reach out and grab on. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel, God with us. God to the rescue. God stepping in. The king has come. He's arrived. God sent help by becoming one of us. Why did he come? The prophet is prophesying that the Messiah would come to our rescue because someone had to face our battle with sin. Someone had to dig out the empty remove the worthless foundation of sand and put footers and put um, solid rock underneath to anchor our lives. And so Jesus steps from heaven to earth. He arrives, what we celebrate on Christmas, right? But what we celebrate at Christmas is what we also celebrate at Easter, right? It's the promise that God not only arrived, but Jesus died on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins, to take on our shame and guilt, to absorb the full judgment of our eternal death sentence. But Jesus didn't just die. He rose from the dead. And what we celebrate on Easter is that Jesus rose from the dead, not just, to give, not just him coming back to life, but to give us life. So anyone who believes in Jesus is forgiven of sins given new and forever life. Can I pause? What better time than this Christmas season as we walk through the story of Christmas, the story of God interacting with us? What better time than for you to receive the greatest gift of all, the promised king? He has arrived. He's come. God is with you. Would you, would you receive that right now? Would, do you believe that Jesus loves you? that Jesus died on a cross, he rose from the dead for you, and that if you believe in him, he will forgive you of sins and give you new life. If you're ready to say yes to that statement, yes, I believe, 
Would you make a commitment to Jesus right now? Let somebody know. Tell your friends. Tell someone at work. Tell your family. Tell the person sitting next to you right now. If you're, you're joining us online, tell somebody in your house. Let somebody know and let us know because we want to celebrate with you and we want to encourage you <laughs> because this journey takes friends and family. We're, we want you to find family within LifeHouse. And so would you let us know, scan the QR code that comes up on the screen. For those of you joining us online, there's a, a link that you can follow and you can fill out that form and our pastors will follow up with you to encourage you as you begin this new journey in relationship with God. Now you, you're saying yes to Jesus, putting your faith in God. You, let me be clear. You're not putting your faith in faith. You're not putting your faith in religion. You're not putting your faith in Christianity. No, Christianity is the belief that God sent his son, that God became one of us. He came to the rescue. Let me say it again. When your life is shaken, when you are unsettled, when things around you feel unstable, uh, you're unstable. There's no, there's no ground, solid ground that you can stand on. God doesn't send a miracle. God doesn't send a command. He doesn't give us religion. God became one of us. God arrived to save the day. So here's what you and I do. We put, put your hope in God's promised presence. Let me say it again. Put your hope in God's promised presence. Jesus came. God's answer to our troubles. God's answer to the troubles of the nation of Judah and Ahaz was that he came to the rescue. He became one of us. And our hope is anchored in the fact that God promises to send his presence. I thought about saying it this way. Don't be an Ahaz. Okay. Don't be an Ahaz and just go, God, I don't, I don't, I don't need anything. I don't want anything. God says, what sign can I give you? Ah, don't worry about it. Don't be an Ahaz. We can put our hope in the promise of God's presence. When you're most in trouble, God is most near. God loves you. God is for you. God with us, Emmanuel. Let, let me read this verse in Isaiah chapter 8. Uh, it's, it's a little bit of a, a taunt. So he, God says through the Isaiah, I'm going to show up. I'm going to be, I'm going to send my son through the virgin and my son is going to save the day. And so this is one of those passages where he says, here I am, I'm coming to the rescue. So he's taunting the enemies of God and of Judah. He goes, prepare for battle and be shattered. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Devise your strategy but it will be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will not stand for God is with us. What is he saying? He goes, when you put your hope in the promise of God's presence, then you have confidence that whatever enemies are against you, you can look at your enemies. You can look at the crisis. You can look at the diagnosis. You can look at the tragedy and you can say, hey, Prepare, prepare your battle plans. Devise all of the strategies you want. Put your best plans in place, but they will be thwarted. How can I say that? Because God is with us. Emmanuel is with me. God has stepped in and come to our 
rescue. My hope is not in my ability. My hope is not even in my ability to practice my faith. My hope is not in my ability to pray better, to read or memorize the Bible better. My hope is in God's presence and the fact that I have a God who shows up and comes to my rescue, that we don't live, we don't, we don't believe in an empty God of idols. We don't believe in manufactured religions written by mankind. We don't believe in a, in a religion that is something mystical and made up. No, we believe in the one true God who promised he would come, and 700 years later, God showed up. He came to our rescue. He died on a cross. He rose from the dead. He forgives sin. He gives new life and he promises to be present in our troubles. That's where my hope is anchored. Listen to this. Let me, let me read a little bit more and encourage you as literally just continuing to read that very passage. This is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of, of this people. Do not call conspiracies. He's getting at a point here. He goes, let me calm you down. Don't call conspiracy everything this people calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Some of you, this is the one part that you're going to take from this sermon. Stop calling conspiracy everything everyone else calls conspiracy. Don't be afraid of everything everyone else is afraid of. The Lord, uh, do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He's the one you are to dread. He will be a holy place. He'll be your hiding place. He'll be your sanctuary. If rather than fearing the news and every threat and every problem and everything you read on the internet and you see in your news feed or you see when you're scrolling, if you would, if you would trust God more than you trust the headlines, if you would put more fear in God, then you do what you're afraid of in the world around you. You would find peace and sanctuary and hope in God's presence. For some of you, God is fully present with you, but you don't sense his presence because you're so caught up in the circumstances and the crises and the troubles around you. And you're letting that shake you when you could be anchored in the hope of God's presence. When you hope in God's presence, you fear nothing else. Hope will drive out fear. Did you catch that? If you're getting, if you find yourself shaken and unsettled because of fear, the answer, the cure for fear is actually not fearlessness or, you know, courage, but hope. I have hope in the nearness of God, a God who comes to the rescue, a God who steps in and saves the day. My confidence is not in what's going on in the world around me or my ability to wisely or accurately or intelligently navigate these circumstances or figure it out. No, my hope is the fact that God is for me, not against me. My hope in God means I don't have to fear anything else. In fact, isn't that what Isaiah wrote on behalf of God in uh, chapter seven, verse four, where he says, say to him, be careful. This is a warning. Be careful. Think carefully about this. Use caution. Keep 
calm. Don't be afraid and do not lose heart. How can I do that? Well, it doesn't always mean that God's going to instantly turn circumstances around. It doesn't mean that things are always going to work out the way I thought they would. And so Isaiah writes this on behalf of God. If you, go, if you jump over to chapter 8, verse 16 and, and, and 17, it goes like this. Bind up this testimony of warning and seal up God's instructions among, his, among my disciples. It goes like this. I will wait for the Lord. I will put my trust in him. In fact, later in Isaiah, he says, those that wait upon the Lord, their strength will be renewed. They will rise up on the wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. There's this key. There's this element of hope and faith. And it comes down to waiting, trusting. When you hope in God's promises, you trust his timing. Some of you, you're getting unsettled. You're getting shaken because things aren't happening in the time that you thought they should. Remember that God sees the world. God sees history differently, right? A way to understand this would be these verses, this, these passages are written 700 years before the arrival of Jesus. Don't be in Ahaz. Don't be in such a hurry demanding the answers right now that God wants to give later. God's timing is always a perfect timing. And you don't want right now what God wants to give you later because the grace of God is in the tomorrow. The grace of God is in the right timing. The grace of God is in the waiting. We can hope in waiting because we know that God will give us all the good and perfect gifts that he desires. He will help us live out his purposes for our life. But when we demand the things of God right now that are not coming until tomorrow, if we got them today, we would corrupt them and they would corrupt us. So we trust God. We trust God's timing because our hope is in God's promises, that he's true that he's faithful to his word. And so what's got you unsettled? What's got you shaken? I can tell you the answer. God's response is that he shows up. God doesn't send miracles. I mean, he, he does send miracles, but the answer is not just a miracle. The answer isn't a, a, another rule. The answer isn't religion. The answer is God himself, his presence in your life. Do you know this? God is present right now. As you're listening to me preach, as I've opened up his word, here's the thing. God's word reveals God's God. But it doesn't just reveal God. When we speak God's word, it welcomes God's presence. As you receive this message, you're actually entertaining the presence of God. You know he's present with you right now? I want to take a moment. I want to pray over you, but I want, as I pray, for you to present yourself to the God that is present with you. What, what do you need? Where do you need God to speak calm into your chaos? Where do you need God to speak strength into what is unsettling you? And where do you need to know that God is present even though you can't see him or feel him? Jesus, thank you 
that the message of Christmas is your arrival. And even though nations had to wait for hundreds of years for you to come, you came. And we may have to wait for your promises to be fulfilled in our life. We may have to wait to see wrongs righted, to see justice prevail. But God, while we wait, we trust. And while we wait in trust, we have confidence that you are present with us. In fact, we give what is unsettling us to you. Right now, we surrender that and we trust you. We lean into you and we lean on you. Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.